to you today, or hopefully I don't want to talk to you today. I want the Spirit of God to speak to you today um, from a passage of Scripture. I think I've probably mentioned this before in a message or used this before when I have preached over the last uh, 22 years. I've been preaching. I probably have used it before. But uh, today is the first time I think I've actually ever used this story in its full context. Uh, And the Lord spoke this very uh, strongly to me. I want to start sort of at the end of the story, and we're going to work our way back to find the full context. And we're actually going to be reading quite a a bit of scripture today. So if you have the ability to join with us, and uh, we don't have the scriptures available on the screen here, So if you have a Bible, I know you're watching on your device right now, but if you have a secondary device or maybe you have that old-fashioned thing called a Bible. Actually, I still have have one right here. So if you have one of these things, look at that. I actually have one. If you have one of these things, in case you forgot what one of these are, especially you young people, this is what we used to call a Bible. Uh, Your iPad is not your Bible. That's your iPad. The Bible's on your iPad. But this is... uh, That's what we used to call a Bible. So if you have one, I would encourage you to join with me and look at this as well. I'll be reading out of the New King James Version, um, but you might have another version of the Bible, and I think that would be just as fine today. You'll see maybe a different changing in some words, but you'll get the gist of it as we read along. We're going to begin with Leviticus chapter 10, and we're going to look at the first two verses in Leviticus chapter 10. Verse number 1 says, Then Nadab and Abihu, the sons of Aaron... Each took a censer and put it and put fire in it, put incense on it, and offered profane fire before the Lord, which he had not commanded them. So fire went out from the Lord and devoured them, and they died before the Lord. Now, if you're reading out of the King James Bible, you'll find that word profane uh, there is translated strange fire. Uh, some other translation called it an unauthorized fire. Um, but uh, the king, the New King James uses the word profane fire. And when we read the context of this, it seems as if God is being really harsh. Sometimes in the Old Testament, as we read through the Old Testament, we see some things about God that kind of take us aback a little bit. God is very, it, it appears as if he's very strong. It appears as if he is uh, very harsh in his dealings in the Old Testament. And while at first glance it appears by reading Leviticus chapter 10 that these two boys offered fire to the Lord. Yeah, it might not have been exactly right, but hey, they were at least trying, okay? Give them credit, they were at least trying. And God just, I mean, he just crushes them and kills them. I mean, how bad is that? That just seems like God's awful harsh. Why, Why couldn't God just let it slide? But we're going to pull back the layers of the story a little bit, and we're going to um, see the context of how we got to that point in Leviticus chapter 10, and really what happened in Leviticus 10. And the we talked about years ago, now I preached a message called The Thing Under the Thing, for those of you that remember that. This is sort of the thing under the thing. God wasn't destroying them necessarily because of the fire. Yeah, that was part of it. But there was something deeper going on in their heart. There were some limits that they had placed in their heart. And God said, enough. I've given you enough warning. I've given you enough time. I've given you enough space. Over. 
but to understand that we're going to go back in scripture and we're going to begin reading in Exodus chapter 19. We're going to read verses three through six. And Moses went up to God and the Lord called, uh, called to him from the mountain saying, thus shall thus you shall say to the house of Jacob and tell the children of Israel, you have seen what I did to the Egyptians and how I bore you on eagles wings and brought you to myself. Now, therefore, if you will indeed obey my voice and keep my covenant, then you shall be a treasure to me above all people for all the earth is mine and you shall be uh, shall be to me a kingdom and a, a, a priest and a holy nation. These are the words which you shall speak to the children of Israel. So we find in the context of the story, they've left Egypt, they've crossed over the Red Sea, now they've come to uh, the wilderness of Sinai, Mount Sinai, and God is speaking to uh, Moses, and he's laying this sort of foundation. And there at the end, uh, he says, and you shall be to me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. We follow that along, we go now to verse number 10, and verse number 10 says, the Lord said to Moses, go to the people and consecrate them today and tomorrow. Let them wash their clothes. Let them be ready for the third day. For the third day, the Lord will come down upon Mount Sinai in the sight of all the people. You shall set bounds for the people all around saying, take heed to yourselves that you do not go up on the mountain or touch its base. Whoever touches the mountain shall surely be put to death. Again, we're seeing sort of this contrast between God's holiness and God's wrath. And it appears as if God is sort of being very unfair here, but but he's telling them right off the bat, listen, I want to do something special here. I want to do a new thing. I, I want to I want to take you beyond where I've ever taken anybody. But in order that to happen, there's some things that got have got to get straight between you and I. First of all, the Bible teaches us that no flesh will glory in his presence. Unfortunately, we live in a world today, a world made up of excuses. We've, we've now labeled everything that if you have a problem, it's not your problem. We've labeled that problem so that you don't have to take personal responsibility for yourself. You can label it as, well, I did that because I am this. Now, are there legitimate things out there that, uh, that should be addressed or maybe you need treatment for? Absolutely. I'm not saying any of that is, I'm not saying all of it is wrong, but I think we've gone too far. Like most of the time, we as humans, we go too far. And I think sometimes we've gone too far because in our attempt to fix our own selves and we've determined we can't fix ourselves, the only option we have is therefore to label us as, well, I'm this or I'm this. Or we go further and say, I'm like this because my family or my parents or my mom or my dad. All the way, not really taking a look at us and our own actions. And God is speaking directly to Israel there in the beginning of Exodus 19. He's saying to them, listen, I want to do something special here. I want to make you my holy people, my kingdom of priests. I want to do this. It's a me and you thing. But in order for this to happen, we've got to get some things straight. Because there's some things that you've been left over. There's some remnants inside of you that came with you from Egypt that if you don't deal with those things in your heart, you're never going to be able to fully embrace and fully go to where I'm taking you. So I brought you to this mountain. Here's what I want you to do. I want you to consecrate yourself. I want you to, I want you to cleanse yourself. In Exodus 19, he begins to lay it out. And, and then the Lord said in verse 24, away, get down and then come up. 
you and Aaron with you. But do not let the priests and the people break through to come up to the Lord, lest he break out against them. Notice that God said, hey, listen, you and Aaron come up, but the people aren't ready yet. There's some things that have not taken place. There's some things within them that have not been established yet. So they can't come where you're coming yet. Because if they do, I'm going to have to, I'm going to have to break out against them. So I'm asking you to tell them, don't go beyond this point. Not because I don't love them. I'm actually telling them because I love them. He tells them, don't go farther. And notice here that in the beginning, we have two characters that come to play here. We have Moses and Aaron. We know Aaron being the brother of Moses. That sort of ends chapter 19. In chapter 20, we get the Ten Commandments, where God lays out the Ten Commandments. He begins to establish the foundation of the law. He begins to establish the, the, the foundation of the covenant he was making with Israel based off, here are some things that I want you to follow. We know those 10 commandments. If you don't know them, I suggest you go read Exodus chapter 20. We don't have time to do that today, but we see that God was not unfair. You know, it, it would be unfair if God was judging or, or rebuking them based off information they didn't know. Because you know what? There's coming a day where you and I are going to stand before God in judgment. Every man is going to stand before God in judgment. Every one of us is going to stand before God in judgment. You and I will have to stand before God in judgment. That day is coming. It's that bumper sticker. You've seen it. It's the t-shirt. I've seen it in multiple different ways. And I laugh every time I see it. Because there's a bumper sticker or a t-shirt that says, Only God can judge me. And... It sounds cool, right? Only God can judge me because I can only be judged by God. Be careful what you wish for. Jesus said, don't, be a, don't, don't fear the person who can, who can just harm you physically, but fear for the one that can destroy your soul. Fear for the one that can put your soul in. If you really want to be fearful, not fearful as in afraid terror, but in fearful and awe and Holy reverence and respect. Respect the one who holds life and death, heaven and hell, in his hands. So this idea, only God can judge me. Be careful what you wish for. God begins to lay out to Israel, here's some things I want you to follow. Moses and Aaron, I want you to come up here. But the rest of you, you have to stay here until we get some things established. I've got to get some boundaries placed. I've got to get some things built because if you come up now, because of my holy nature, because of who I am, and I can't allow your flesh, I can't allow sin in my presence, it will cause me to break out against you. So because I love you, I'm going to keep you there until I'm able to establish some things in your heart that allow you to come. Does God love you like you are? Absolutely he does. But careful that you allow God's love for you in the present to determine his attitude towards you in the future. That, oh, God loves me like I am. Yes, he does love you like you you are. But be careful when you choose to, to take God's current love for you as his approval for your future actions. God loves you like you are, but he loves you too much to leave you like you are. His desire is that every day you draw closer to him. And what does that mean? Every day I draw closer to him, I become more like him. Meaning my flesh has to die more and more. That's not theory. It's not rhetoric. It's not just simply saying, well, you know, I like this. No, it's saying, okay, God, where are there areas in my life that need to change? Where are there areas in my life that boundaries need to be established? 
Because with no boundaries, you ultimately have limits. You see, this is the sort of the, 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 the uh, irony of all of this. If you don't have boundaries, you actually have great limits. But if you have God-given boundaries, you actually have no limits with God. We would think it works the other way, that if I don't have boundaries, I have ultimately no limits, and therefore God can take me. It doesn't work that way with God. God will give you boundaries so that you can go beyond your limits. And we begin to see that here. It's amazing today how many people want all of God, but don't want any boundaries. They want all of God, but they don't want anything in their life telling them what to do. If you don't believe that, just go online and look at the debate over to mask or not mask. I'm not here as a scientist. I'm not telling you masks and what they do. I've worn my mask. I've, I continue to wear my mask. I've complied because I was asked by our governor, the power to be, who to wear my mask. I've done it. I haven't complained. I've actually, I'm at this point now where I'm, I'm past it. It is just sort of a part of my face. When you see me, you see my mask. But it's amazing to me how many people had such an issue with being told what to do. Now, if you're, you know, we get in the debate of the science of it, does mask, I don't know. That's someone else with more medical training than, um, than I have. But the idea was nobody's going to make me wear this. I'm a free citizen. That's our problem. We don't want anybody telling us what to do. There's no way we can do that in the natural and then expect in the spiritual that we're okay with God telling us what to do. Notice that God will use natural authority to determine sometimes whether or not we will submit to spiritual authority. You cannot be submitted to spiritual authority and, and, and be unsubmitted to natural authority. Mm. Someone needs to hear that. I'm telling you in the Holy Ghost. We think we can be submitted to spiritual authority, but yet we don't have to listen to natural authority. It doesn't work that way. Sometimes God will put natural authority in your life to be the determining factor whether or not you need to be revealed of your spiritual authority. And we know without authority in your life, you've got nothing. Well, ain't nobody going to tell me what to do. Nobody's going to tell me how to live. Nobody's going to know. Uh, really? Maybe God gave you that boss who's a jerk for a reason. You thought about that? Well, God wants me to be happy. God wants me to have a wonderful job. No, God wants you to be saved. Maybe he gave you that boss who's not the nicest person. And maybe they don't treat you completely fair. But he wants to know, will you submit to the authority that I placed in your life? If God puts you in that job, he puts you in that job knowing who your boss was going to be. And he put there maybe to reveal to some things, you know what? I'm going to submit to the boss because they're in charge. But Father, I'm submitting to the boss because ultimately I want to be submitted to you. The story continues. Exodus 20, we get the giving of the law, then the story continues and unfold. And then finally, Exodus 24, we really pick up steam because Exodus 24 says this. And now he said to Moses, come up to the Lord, you and Aaron, Nadab and Abihu, and the 70 elders of Israel, and worship from afar. And Moses alone shall come near to the Lord, but they shall not come near, nor shall the people go up with them. Now watch what happens here. Exodus chapter uh, 19, God says in the very beginning there, God says at the end, he says, you and Aaron, 
you and Aaron come up. By the time we get to Exodus 24, now God says, listen, Moses, you can come. But I want you to bring Aaron, Nadab, and Abihu, who are the sons of Aaron, the two sons of Aaron, and the 70 elders. The 70 elders were those that selected by God and by Moses through the leading of the Lord to be the leaders of Israel. This is after after, uh, Moses' father-in-law, Jethro, comes to them and says, listen, Moses, you can't lead Israel by yourself. You need help. Selected 70 elders. But notice what happens here. God says to them, I want you to come up. I want you to come to me. Come. Come up. There's a drawing here. There's a, there's a call for going beyond where you currently are. There's a call to say, I want to show you something greater. But he says to them, you and Aaron, Nadab and Abihu, the 70 elders. But he said, worship me afar off. And then notice this. And Moses alone shall come near to the Lord. But you shall not come near, nor shall the people go up. So notice this. We begin to set something up here. They're going up the mountain. And God says, I want you to come up the mountain. That was his original, his original uh, 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 call in Exodus 19. He said, I'm going to descend upon this mountain. And later on in Exodus 19, we find that he descends upon the mountain with thunder and lightning and clouds. And this awe-inspiring, awe-inspiring uh, show of God's holy majesty ascending or descending on that mountain. And later on, he says in 24, I want Moses, Aaron, Nadab, and Bihu, and the 70 elders to come up. But I want you to worship me from far off. Moses, you can come up all the way, but I want them to come. And then I want you to tell the people that they can't come up to where they are. So notice, we create this sort of interesting situation. At the bottom of the mountain, we have the people of Israel. We have those that are still left at the bottom, the the population, the nation of Israel. Then we have this group that's been selected to come up farther, but they can only go up to a certain place. And then God says to Moses, I want you to go up all the way. We can get into Moses if we had time. Moses had been through multiple layers of consecration. All the way back to the burning of the bush when he took off his shoes and stood on holy ground. There were so many things that God did in Moses' life to consecrate him so that he could come and stand into the, in the presence of God. But we find that these men who were called by God, he said, I want to make you a kingdom of priests, a holy nation. These men, Aaron and his two sons, who were going to be the, the leaders of the priests of Israel, and then the 70 elders, which were going to represent the people, he wanted to take them to another place. But before he got there, he had to take them to a place of consecration, take them to a place where he was going to have to deal with some limitations that they had in their heart, that in order to take them beyond that, they had to deal with some things in their heart. And so he brings them to this halfway point on the mountain. And Exodus chapter 24 verse 9 says, Then Moses went up, also Nadab and Abihu and the 70 elders, and they saw the God of Israel. And there was under his feet, as it were, a paved work of sapphire stone, as it was like the very heavens in its clarity. But on the nobles of the children of Israel, he did not lay his hand. So they saw God and they ate and they drank. I want you to get this picture for me for just a moment. They go up to this halfway point and God comes down and shows them an amazing vision of who he is that literally he shows himself to them and he's on these sapphire stones with this 
beautiful clarity. And they said they saw God and they ate and drank. They had a covenant meal with him. They were touched by the power of God. Notice this. There was, they, they can't, they, you can't deny the fact that they were in the presence of God. That God was showing them something amazing. Aaron, Nadab, Abihu, the 70 elders. God was, was showing them this amazing display of his power, of his might. And I believe he was showing them that to say, listen, here's what I can do. And if you would be willing to go a little farther with me, imagine if I can do this halfway up the mountain. What can I do on top of the mountain? If I can do this here, what could I do if you would be willing to go with me a little farther? If God can do what he's doing at your current level, what can God do if you're willing to say, God, I want to go all the way? But you see, we get stuck in this sort of halfway mode. Halfway up the mountain, you can see God. Halfway out the mountain, you can fellowship with his presence. Halfway up the mountain, you can see things about God that are amazing. You can have a covenant with him, eating and drinking and seeing him. But that halfway point is not a point to stop. That halfway point is a point that God brings us so that he can reveal things in us to take us beyond. Just watch what happens. The story begins to unfold that Moses goes up to the top of the mountain. God begins to lay out things to Moses, amazing things. Gives them about about how to offer offerings to God. He begins to deal with Moses about the tabernacle and the ark and all the amazing things that uh, that we find in Scripture. But we don't know exactly how long. We don't know f- the full detail of the conversations that took place at this halfway camp. You know, if you're traveling up Mount Everest uh, because of the highness of the altitude, that you have to go to certain stations along the trail up Mount Everest. And at every every couple of thousand feet or so, you have to stay at a camp uh, and get um, climatized to the atmosphere and to the lack of oxygen. And then once you stay there and your body adjusts, then you can go up a little farther. And then you stay there for a while and then you go up. So the trip from the bottom of Mount Everest to the top takes months and months and months, not because of necessarily it takes that long. It takes that long for your body to be able to go to those heights. Because if you just started from the bottom and went straight up without ever stopping, your body would not be able to make it to the top. So there's positions along the way of your journey and Mount Everest that you have to stay for a while and let your body get accustomed to a new place. As we grow in God and we go higher and higher, God will take us to places and leave us there not to punish us, but to prepare us to take us higher. But he cannot take us higher until we get prepared at the place we're at. You can't skip rungs on God's ladder. You can't just go from here to there. God has places he takes you and every place has a purpose. But we find here... As the story unfolds, and I don't have time today to do it, I would suggest you go back and read it. But we find that a little later on, we hear the people begin to complain. Aaron and Moses and the 70 elders come back down off the halfway point. 
because the people begin to complain. And we know eventually what happens that Aaron kind of caves in and uh, builds the golden calf. And God speaks to Moses. He says, by the way, uh, Moses, while you and I are here having this conversation, uh, the people are down there losing their minds. Uh, You might need to go down there and deal with them. And we see this sort of situation take place. But what's amazing is, after all that, Leviticus begins to tell us that even after Aaron did that, and Nadab and Abihu left this halfway point unchanged. They went halfway up. They experienced God, but when they left, they left unchanged because it wasn't very long after that. They're back down there with a golden calf, dancing around naked in a complete and utter loss of all boundaries. Moses is up there in the power of God, in the majesty of his might, and they're down there dancing around of a golden calf. But watch what God does. Don't tell me God's not merciful. Leviticus chapter 8 verse 6 says this, Then Moses brought Aaron and his sons and washed them with water. God was trying to forgive them. He was trying to keep his word and covenant to them. I mean, I'm not trying to be be crazy, but if God should have destroyed them, he should have not waited for the fire. He should have destroyed them when they made the golden calf. You're talking about the ultimate slap in the face. I brought you out of Egypt. I've crossed over the Red Sea. I've I've saved you from Pharaoh's army. I brought you out of 400 years of slavery. I've taken you to this place. Exodus 19 said that the people saw God descend upon the mountain. They saw the majesty and power of God. And a couple of chapters later, Moses goes up and the people, and Aaron goes up. And because Moses didn't come down fast enough, the people said, that's it, we're done. And Moses builds, and Aaron builds this calf. To me, if God should have punished them, that was the time he should have just said, you know what, I'm done with you guys. After all I've done, why didn't God just absolutely wipe them off the face of the earth? If God was so harsh, if God is so cruel and unjust, he should have said, you know what? You're done. Get out. He didn't do that. And we find that in Leviticus 8, 6, says, then Moses brought Aaron and his son and washed him with water. Now watch what happens. Verse 8, chapter 8, verse 13, Leviticus says this. Then Moses brought Aaron's sons. There's this consecration God begins to do. He does it for Aaron, and then he follows it up with his sons. Watch this. He did it for Aaron, and now in verse 13 it says, Then Moses brought Aaron's son, put tunics on them, girded them with sashes, and put hats on them, as the Lord had commanded Moses. And he brought the bull for the sin offering. Then Aaron and his sons, Aaron and his sons, laid their hands on the head of the bull for the sin offering. You laid your hand on the bull because when you're laying your hand on the bull, that was transferring your sin to the sacrifice. So you physically would touch the bull's head because in touching the bull's head, you were signifying a transference of your sin to that bull because that bull was then going to be offered as a sacrifice to God for the forgiveness of your sins. So they laid the hands on the head of the bull for the sin offering and Moses killed it. 
Then he took the blood and put some on the horns of the altar all around with his finger and purified the altar. And he poured the blood on the base of the altar and consecrated it to make atonement. There that word again. Jesus Christ is our ultimate atonement. Here, this bull became the atonement for the sins of Aaron and his sons. Then, Leviticus chapter 8, verse 18 says, Then he brought the ram as the burnt offering. And Aaron and his son laid their hands on the head of the ram, and Moses killed it. Then he sprinkled blood around the altar. So again, I'll go further. And then verse 22 says this, And he brought the second ram, and the ram of consecration. Then Aaron and his sons laid their hands on the head of the ram, and Moses killed it. And he took some of the blood and put it on the tip of Aaron's right ear, and on the thumb of his right hand, and on the big toe his right foot. Then he brought Aaron's sons. And Moses put some of the blood on the tips of their right ears and on the thumbs of the right hands and on the big toes of the right foot. And then Moses sprinkled the blood all around the altar. Notice what happened. They go halfway up the mountain. They stay there in the presence of God, but they come back down and they get caught up in all this mess. And then God says to Moses, I want you to wash them, consecrate them. And then God takes them to the places of forgiveness Sacrifice, consecration. And notice this, verse 36, get this. Verse 36 said, So Aaron and his son did all the things that the Lord had commanded them by the hand of Moses. Notice this. They did everything that God had commanded him. They did it all. And then Leviticus chapter 9, we get into the beginning of the ministry of Aaron and his sons. And then we come back to Leviticus 10. And Leviticus 10, let me read it again. Nahab and Abihu, the sons of Aaron, each took a censer and put fire in it, put incense on it, and offered profane fire before the Lord, which he command he had commanded, he had not commanded them. So fire went from the Lord and devoured them, and they died before the Lord. Wait a minute. Leviticus 8, 36 said they did everything that God told them to do. And now God is punishing them by killing them. What was going on? Well, there's several things that this story tells us and why we're dealing with it today in the No Limits series. Number one, it tells us that you can do the right thing and still get it wrong. You can still do the right action, but still be wrong. We have been so, so focused on doing the right thing and the right action. And then we do the right thing and the right action and nothing comes of it. There's no fruit. It doesn't seem like God even cares. But we go to God and say, God, I'm doing everything right. These boys did everything right. They did. They followed the commandments of God to a T. But God struck them down. Less than a chapter and a half later. Why? Because you can do the right thing in your actions, but still not be at the right place in your heart. You see, if we look at Leviticus 10 in the light of Exodus 24, in that halfway point, I believe that halfway point where Nadab and Abihu and Aaron were was a place where God was bringing them to to touch them but to touch them, to change them. 
Not to deal with their actions, but to begin to deal with their heart. Because you see, the word profane there, it's not only translated as strange, it's, it's, it's foreign, strange, to turn aside, profane, or to commit adultery. That word strange there, or profane, speaks of something beyond just simply action. It's something inside. It's a turning away from, a thorn. It's, it's, it's strange. It's, it's, another, it's adulterous. There's something in you here. That's why Jesus began to warn in the Gospels where he talked about the fact it's not just what you do with your actions, but it's about your heart. That's why he talked about with the Israel, with the, with the children of Israel there in, in when he was, when uh, the, those in, uh, that were gathered around him that day when he was teaching, he said, the Bible says if you, if you, if you commit adultery, you're wrong. But I'm going to say if it's even in your heart, you're wrong. Now, God wasn't trying to establish a new law. What he was trying to say was, it's not just about what's going on on the outside in your actions. It's really about what's happening in here that matters. You can say to me, I've got everything right out here, but ultimately I'm looking at your heart. I know I'm a little fired up today, not usual, but because I feel such an unction of the Holy Ghost to try to tell somebody is that you're telling God, I have no limits because God, I'm doing everything you're asking me to do. But God's saying, I'm not talking about what you're doing. I'm talking about what's happening in here, inside, in your heart. There's some things, I don't know how long it took, but there were some things in Nadab and Abihu, even in the midst of that powerful moment in Exodus chapter 24, in that powerful moment of God coming and being with them, they saw God. They ate and drank in his presence. But there were some things in them. There was some lust. There were some untethered things. There were some areas in their life that they weren't willing to deal with. And eventually it pulled them down off the mountain, back in the people. And later on, even after God's attempt after attempt after attempt to have them dealt with, to bring them to a place of forgiveness and consecration, and God tried to do it with love and with gentleness and kindness and bring them in, eventually they continued in their own ways that God says, I can't do this anymore. So before you judge God, for what he did in Leviticus chapter 10 by striking them now with fire. You've got to pull back and say, wait a minute. Who really was the problem here? Was God harsh? No. There was time after time God brought them to a place where he was trying to get through to them. But time after time they rejected and rejected and rejected and rejected and rejected. Until they had no choice. It was the hidden things that were the problem. The story tells us one thing. You can be touched by God, but yet be unchanged. There's something powerful about the presence of God. Some of the most influential moments of my entire life, naturally and spiritually, my entire life have been shaped by the moments I've been in God's presence. The moments that I've seen God and felt God and God has shown me things that have been life-changing. But I can be in those moments, but yet be unchanged. Because there are some things in my life that I say to God, uh, these are off limits. Off limits. Do you feel like sometimes you're caught between where you were and where God's taking you, and it seems like you're caught in the middle? Right? Right? You're at the bottom of the mountain and you know God's taking you to the top of the mountain. 
Or you feel like God's calling you. He's saying, hey, come out. I'm, I'm calling you to come. And you say, okay, God, I, I want more of you. I want more of you, Jesus. Show me more of you. And God says, come. That's it, come. And you start that journey. But it feels like you get somewhere and you just kind of plateau, right? You never really reach where you thought you were going, but you're not where you used to be. You're kind of stuck in the middle. You know what I'm talking about. We've been there before. Maybe you're there right now. Can I tell you what that place is? That's the halfway point. That's the stopping point halfway up the mountain that God brings you to, that he pulls you out of where you are to prepare you to where he's taking you. But it's that moment where God has brought you to. He's going to show you what he's capable of, but he's showing you so that you would be willing to lay down every single piece of you and say, God, take it all. Not just my actions, but take my heart. Take it all. Deal with everything. Reveal all of it. I believe for those that are part of Antioch West, we as a body, we as Antioch West, we are in that moment. God has brought us out over the last year and we've sort of been stuck in this moment. You think, what is going on? This seems like we're wasting our time. But I'm telling you, God's taken us to a mountaintop experience, but he's brought us to this place. It's been a place of revealing. Over the last 12 months, so much junk has been revealed in my heart. Things of my past, things from my childhood, things from just recently things about that things I have I've I have let slide little things big things medium-sized things things that I have sort of had justified things that I'd sort of let slide things that I had said well maybe it's not a big deal after all God is now revealing those hidden things in my life he's tearing over every pulley he's ripping up every rock he's tearing open every closet door and he's saying listen Joel if you want to go there I brought you here so that I can deal with some limitations because there's some things in you that you can't go there until you deal with right here Are you there right now? Are you in that moment where you feel like you're caught between where you were and where you're going? You can be touched but unchanged. Halfway up, I find, is where most believers get to. We never get to where God really wants to take us. We seem to hit that mark and we can't really get beyond that because we don't really ever want to deal with really what's going on inside. We want to say, God, look, I'm coming to church. Or, God, I'm reading my Bible. Or, God, I'm doing this. Look at all my actions. Look at all the things I'm doing, God. Isn't that good enough? No, because you're praying with some strange fire. You've got some hidden things in you that you still haven't dealt with. And when you offer strange fire before God, God says, I can't do it. Unfortunately, in our world today in the religious world, actions have become a substitute for consecration. Our actions have become a, a substitute for consecration. Because we do the right things doesn't make them right. Just because we do the right action doesn't mean that it's right. You can do all the things you think you're supposed to do. And still be wrong. You see, religion says, do all these things. And because you do all these things, therefore you're right. But God says, I'm not really looking at what you're doing. I'm really looking at why you're doing it. If that's the case, then simply getting wet would forgive you of sins. 
Every time someone jumped in a pool this summer, they'd be forgiven of their sins. Because if it's just about the action, then just jump in the water and you'll be forgiven. No, you see, the action must first be preceded by repentance or a prayer of change. God, I'm asking you, Father, to forgive me of my sins. I want to be forgiven. I want to be washed. I am a sinner, God. And I'm asking you, Lord, to forgive me because I have sinned in my life. I've done things that are wrong. And you've convicted me today. And I want to change. And I repent before you. After that, then baptism follows. And it's not the action of baptism that makes the difference. It's what precedes baptism and the combination of the heart and the obedience of the action that based in the heart is what produces the change. There's another story and I don't have time. I'm running short on time today, but there's another story very familiar to all of us today. And that is the story of Jesus going into the garden to pray. He'd eaten the last supper with his disciples and he takes Peter and James and John with him to the garden. The Bible says he leaves them at a certain point and he goes a little farther to pray. And that was the famous prayer he prays that he says, you know, Lord, if it's possible, let this happen. But nevertheless, not my will, but thine be done. He comes back to them and he finds them asleep. He gets a little frustrated with them about being asleep. And he goes back and he prays the bible says he prays the same exact prayer twice comes back goes back prays it again comes back after the second time and finds them asleep again and he's frustrated again get up can't you just stay with me a little while and he goes back a third time. And the Bible says in Matthew, he prays it the third time. Jesus prayed the same prayer three times. Comes back the third time and they're still asleep. And then he gets frustrated. Says, let's go. The hour's come for my betrayal. I believe that that place that Jesus had brought them to was a halfway point for Peter. He brought Peter out to a place. He's like, Peter, I'm going a little farther because there's some things I got to take care of. But I brought you here because, Peter, there's some things you need to take care of. Because notice, right before that, he had told Peter, you're going to deny me three times. Peter said, I'm not going to, never, not me. Never going to do that. He said, we'll see, but I'm going to give you a chance. I'm going to let you come to this halfway point with me, Peter. I'm going to go a little farther, but I'm going to keep you here because there's some things you need to deal with. But Peter was too worried, too caught up in his own life, his own comfort. He fell asleep versus dealing with it. And eventually it brought him to a place of complete failure. If you feel like today you're caught between that moment, God hasn't brought you there to punish you. He hasn't left you. If you feel like God's forsaken you, left you, that's what they thought about Moses. They thought, well, Moses has forgotten. We're even here. They left us. He left us. What is up with that? You felt like you're in a moment. Jesus had a halfway. That cross was a halfway. He felt forsaken. In that place, a halfway up, you can see God. You can feel God. But you also feel lonely and forsaken at times. But it's not a place of punishment. It's a place of preparation. It's a place so you'd address the walls in your heart, the limits in your heart. Don't be like Nadab and Abihu. 
Don't leave this place, not this physical place. Don't leave this season that God has brought you to unchanged. Don't leave. I prayed this prayer almost daily. I've said it even in the midst where I wanted to really literally scream. I've said, God, don't stop until you finish the work you have in me. You've started. I started this. You started this work all the way back in last March when quarantine hit and all of our world seemed to come to a a sudden stop. And we were all on our knees going, okay, God, whatever you want to do. And then quarantine kind of lifts and we get back to our lives. And now it's like, okay, let's go back down the mountain. It's okay. It's all right. We don't have to keep going. The the bottom of the mountain still is okay. No, God brought us here. God let us here because he's trying to take us somewhere. But we've got to address some things that's in our heart. We've got to deal with some things in our heart. You've got to deal with some things in your heart. You're not going to be able to mask it with your actions. Okay, Leviticus 8, chapter 8, verse 36. And they did everything as God commanded to do by the hand of Moses. But they still had not dealt with the things in their heart. So don't tell me you're doing everything right. Because you can do it right and still get it wrong. Jesus said to them that day, he said, you worship me with your hands, but your heart is far from me. So many people today are giving God their actions, but they're keeping their heart in reserve. God doesn't want your actions. He wants your heart. The Bible says out of the heart flows the issue of life. It's here. That's the source of everything. That's why God deals more with what's going on here than he really does with what's going on out here. Now, we in a religious world have gotten so caught up in dealing with all of the external that we forgot the true purpose of God is here, inside. God, I'm doing everything you're asking me to do. I'm doing this. I'm doing that. What more do you want of me? You're not getting it. He doesn't want more action. He wants more heart. He wants you to tear down walls. He wants you to stop telling him the areas if you, if, of your life he, he, he can have, but he can't have this. You can do this, you can't have that. What about they happen to buy you? Let's talk about that. Let's talk about that, those hidden things. Let's talk about those hidden things. Let's deal with those hidden things. Somewhere along the line, they didn't allow it to happen. They found their way back down the mountain. And eventually they ended up dead at the foot of the altar because of the wrong fire. But the fire was not necessarily the external fire. It was the wrong fire inside. And they tried to go to the top of the mountain without dealing with things that God had brought to them halfway up. I'm challenging you today in the Holy Ghost. God spoke to me today for somebody. If you would listen to me, listen to the Holy Ghost. God's not punishing you. God's not leaving you. He's preparing you. But preparation requires consecration. Preparation requires sanctification. The Bible says, sanctify yourself for tomorrow we cross over. That multiple times before there was an ascension or a crossing over, there had to be a place of sanctification, a place where things were dealt with. You want to go beyond where you are? Do you want to go beyond where you are? There's got to be some things I've got to change at where you're at. God can't take you there until you deal with where you're at here. That's why 
We've been dealing with no limits. We're not dealing with no limits because God wants to be this overbearing God that is in control of your life. No, we're dealing with the limits because God wants to take you to this mountaintop experience that's going to be the greatest thing you've ever seen. But he can't do that until you stop halfway up and deal with some things in your heart. Not because he wants to punish you, but because he loves you. Don't leave the halfway camp. Don't leave the halfway camp and go back down the mountain. You've climbed this far. Stay there until God says, now you can come. Now you, you're worshiping me, worshiping me afar off right now, but there's going to be a point in time where I say, come. I'm going to draw you closer to me. I'm going to show you things about me that I can't show you there. But you've got to deal with things in your heart. Father, I have spoken with the best of my ability today, what you've given me, I've not tried to add to or take from. I've tried to speak it with the, with the unction you gave to me. So Lord, I pray today that every word that was spoken that came from you would have life. But if there's any added, added words today that came from my mouth, then I would ask that those words would be removed, that only your words would remain. I believe, God, you're trying to do something in us individually, but also something in us collectively as a body. But before we can go beyond where we're at, you've brought us to this halfway point. We can't go back to where we were, but we can't go to where you called us. feels like we've been stuck at this moment now. We're celebrating a year today, God, of being stuck in this moment. But we haven't been stuck here because you've left us. You've been stuck here because you're preparing us. You're preparing me. You're preparing my wife. You're preparing every one of our life group leaders, every one of our leadership team. You're preparing every person that's a part of Antioch West. You're preparing us. So, Father, I pray that you don't stop until the work is finished. Because I believe where you're taking us is going to be a mountaintop like we've never been before. But God, I pray today that you would continue to reveal things in us. That you would tear down the walls that we've built up through time, through religion, through ideologies, through our own lusts, our own desires, our own agendas. That every wall would be torn down. That we could see you face to face. In the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. In Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. God bless you. Thank you for joining us today. I pray in Jesus' name that this word would not leave your spirit, but God would continue to work and challenge you and that it would continue to churn in you that the Holy Ghost would speak in your life. In Jesus' name.